You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter one, we got a new microphone. I'm testing out a new microphone today, so I'm, I just get a little bit nervous every time I do that. Make sure I'm, I'm turned on here tonight. Nehemiah chapter one, and we'll, uh, let's stand in honor of the reading of the scripture here tonight, and we'll read the, just the first four verses. This is where we were a couple of weeks ago, and uh, where the last time I preached and, uh, out of Nehemiah, and uh, just want to kind of rehash a couple of things. And tonight's going to be one of those messages that there's a lot of application. And, uh, and you, some of it might be, you might consider some of it meddling. That's a good Oklahoma term for kind of poking something with a stick. And I'm not trying to do that tonight, but I do feel like there are some, some applications from the principle here that would, that would be a help to our church. And just sometimes those are good reminders, and, and sometimes more message, a message is more about application than anything And that may be the case tonight. Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll we'll read the first four verses. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And he prays a prayer that's one of the great prayers of of the Bible, in my opinion. We're not going to get into that tonight, so we won't read it tonight, but I just want to notice his response when he heard the words that he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And his response has a lot to tell us about Nehemiah's heart for the things of God. And uh, we'll pray there, and then we'll get started here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I appreciate how clear it is, at least in reading. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to convey it clearly in preaching. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and just challenge us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be, uh, to be open to the truth and open to the application tonight and help us to see where maybe we could contribute uh, to some of these things and maybe we could help the process along, even here at Eastside Baptist Church. And we all have a role to play and I'm thankful for it. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I read a quote by Ian Bounds, and someone had given it to me out of a book called Power Through Prayer. And Ian Bounds said in that book, he wrote, the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. The church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. You know, our methods can be the latest and greatest, and we can come up with all the best ideas, and we can be innovative, and we can have a fresh approach, 
but God is more interested in using the right kind of men than he is that we come up with better methods. Because really the Holy Spirit works through and empowers men, not methods. And we can come up with good ideas and we can have a new approach and have something fresh, but if we don't have the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we are just going through motions. And really it's no more than a business model if the Holy Spirit's not involved. So to generalize today's religious culture, you might say that churches today, in general, are looking for better methods, but really God is just looking for better men. And it'd be good for us, especially the men of Eastside Baptist Church, to remember, uh, to remember that. that. I mean, it doesn't take much to stand out as a man of God today, but, but we especially in this culture need to be the men of God that he calls us to be. Because those are the kind of men that will make a difference. And especially in this culture where everyone is drifting away from, from the things of God and, and we're becoming uh, really a post-Christian culture, we need men who are godly men who are willing to stand and willing to fight and willing to work. We need men like that at Eastside Baptist Church. Now the book of Nehemiah is about God using the right kind of man to accomplish his plan. And at this point in history, and I'm not going to go into all of it, I've done that a couple times already, but Judah serves the Persian Empire, and God wants to get all the Jews back to Jerusalem to settle it for good. Some have already gone, but at this point, the temple and the city of Jerusalem sit unprotected. The temple had been rebuilt some 70 years before Nehemiah, but there's no wall to protect the city, and the people were suffering, according to verse 3 here in Nehemiah, the people were suffering great persecution because the wall around Jerusalem was broken down. So they were exposed and they were, I mean, there was really no way for, for them to protect themselves. They were being persecuted and the people around them, their enemies were, were persecuting them in that time. And, and, and the right man was needed. Somebody was needed to go back and, and rebuild, to be stirred up and say, I'll be the one that goes back and, and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. Well, God had just so happened or in his sovereignty, I should say, to place Nehemiah in the palace at the right time for the right purpose. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He held an extremely trusted position. God had sovereignly put him in that place at that time to accomplish his purposes. See, what's interesting is how Nehemiah came about to be the one to lead the job. Now, it, it isn't necessarily the way that we would think it would be. Here's what it's not about. It's not about Nehemiah's construction experience. It's not about the fact that Nehemiah had built a bunch of walls and he's just the right guy for the job. No, we're not told, but we, we could probably safely assume Nehemiah had never been a, built a wall around a city before. It was not about Nehemiah's leadership training. Now, he may have had some leadership, but it, it wasn't necessarily because he had been through some Covey course, Franklin Covey course on leadership, uh, I mean, he was a servant in the palace. He was a, a cupbearer. Now, we know he was trustworthy, but, but he's not doing this because he's a leader necessarily. He's not doing this because he's the most intelligent guy in the room. He may have been intelligent, but that wasn't his qualification. He, he's not doing this because of his resume. I can pretty much guarantee that he had never led a group of people thousands of miles across the world to go build a wall around a city. Nehemiah was the right man in the right place, no doubt, but there was something else besides work and leadership experience qualifying him for the task. So tonight I want to focus on another part of Nehemiah's heart that made him the right man for God's plan. 
And a couple of weeks ago, the message title was The Right Man for God's Plan. And tonight, the message title, in case you're wondering, I'm very creative at these, it's The Right Man for God's Plan Part 2. I spent all afternoon coming up with that, so don't laugh at it. So just to review, this is a book that most of this was written in the words of Nehemiah. We find out in verse number one. Uh, he had had a journal or, or some, of some kind, and, and Ezra the scribe had taken this book and, and had written out what Nehemiah wrote and maybe even added some of his own commentary. But for the most part, the book of Nehemiah was written by Nehemiah himself. And I just want to remind you again that he was in Shushan the palace, which is the same place that Esther was just a, a few decades maybe before him. And maybe that we could see God's sovereign hand preparing um, the king um, who probably you know, knew Esther and, and had a, a favorable maybe view of Queen Esther. And so the king arises and now another Jew comes along and, and it just so happens that, that Nehemiah is his cupbearer. I love how God works all of this out, don't you? He's sovereignly placing people in the right positions at the right times for the right jobs. I'm grateful for that. Um, Nehemiah, I want you to consider the fact that he had a great job. He has, I mean, if, besides the fact that he, every time he took a drink, he was putting his life at risk. But for the most part, he had a very secure position. I can pretty much guarantee he had a good salary. And if not a good salary, he was well taken care of. And, and what I want to focus on or just mention tonight is that Nehemiah is a layman. So as we get into the book of Nehemiah over the course of the next few months, I don't want you to think about Nehemiah being a preacher. I don't want you to think about Nehemiah um, being, being a, a priest. I don't want you to think about him being a full-time missionary or in the full-time ministry. Nehemiah is a layman. He's, he's, he's simply a guy, but he has a heart for God's work. And I just want to mention that again tonight that as a layman, you can have a heart for God's work and make a huge difference in, both in, in the kingdom and at Eastside Baptist Church, even if you're not working on staff. We need men like that. And then we see in verse 2 that Nehemiah receives a visit from his brother. His name is Hanani, and, and we, we can assume that that really was his brother, his, his blood brother. In chapter 7, it calls him, his, my, he says, my brother Hanani. And I love the fact that these two brothers... Hanani and Nehemiah both have a heart for God's work. It kind of makes me think they were raised in a home with parents that told them about Jerusalem, with parents that told them about the temple and all of its glory and how someday it can be restored because here you have two Jews, Hanani and Nehemiah, that both have a heart for God and they both have a heart for Jerusalem and they want to see the walls rebuilt and they want to see the temple return to all of its glory. And I just want to encourage you parents here tonight that that while we're raising our children, a lot of times what, we, what they learn from us is not, what we're, it's not taught, it's caught. And our conversations are, are the things they're picking up on. And I have to think that Nehemiah and Hannah and I were raised in a home where the work of God was talked about by their parents. Because these are grown men in a Persian culture, a pagan culture, but they both have a heart for the things of God. So that's just some background of Nehemiah, but it leads us to the trait about him that, that I believe made him the right man for God's plan, and that principle is, is that he cared most about the important things. Look at what he asks in verse 2, that, Han, that Han and I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. 
So Nehemiah is asking about the Jews. He's asking about Jerusalem. And I don't know uh, about you, but I don't typically ask about things that I'm not thinking about. I don't typically ask for things that aren't already on my heart and mind. So we know because he's asking his brother about Jerusalem and about the Jews that this is something that's important to him. He cares about it. Some guys uh, in, in, in church work, you almost have to prod them along. You have to get them to think about the church work. But on the other hand, you have some guys, and I'm thankful for men like this, that just show up and just do it. They don't have to be asked. They don't have to be prodded. They don't have to be told or manipulated or coerced. They just know when something needs to be done and they show up and do it. And I'm grateful that Eastside Baptist Church has a lot of men like that. You just show up and you do the work. And I I think, honestly, we could probably use a few more. If you're a man as a member of Eastside Baptist Church, there's no reason that that you shouldn't always be looking for something that you can do to improve our church, to help our church, to fill in, to stand in the gap somewhere. Every man of Eastside Baptist Church ought to have a role that he's filling. If you were to leave, if you were to leave tonight, uh, how big of a hole would you leave? Would it be easy to fill? Would anybody even notice? Men, get involved. We need men that aren't being told what to do. They're just doing it. They're concerned. They care about the important things like Nehemiah. He cared about God's house and he cared about God's te- people. We're so easily caught up in things that are less than important, aren't we? And it's hard to filter in, in this culture, but this church uh, and our culture and parents, your, your kids, your family, they need disciples that place priority on the important things. And I'm not saying that we can't allow our children to enjoy some of the frivolous things, um, but honestly, if there's a balance one way or the other, we ought to teach them to love the things of God much more than we teach them to love the frivolous things that don't directly contribute to God's kingdom. You know, disciples prioritize the things that contribute to God's work. Nehemiah cared about the important things, and it shows up both in his response to a need and in the overall difference he made. I mean, when he heard in verse 3 that the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, the wall of Jerusalem also was broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I mean, that, that broke his heart. It hurt him to know that God's house... That the temple, that Jerusalem, that God's people were being persecuted. They were in great affliction and reproach. His response is evidence about how much he cares about God's work and God's house and God's people. And last time we talked about his concern for God's people and how we ought to be primarily concerned about God's people. That's what a local church is for. I mean, God calls us uh, to care about each other and lift up each other's burdens and strive together and work together and have unity together. We're not going to get into all of that again tonight, but I'm just telling you, Nehemiah loved the people of God, and you should too. I mean, as a member of Eastside Baptist Church, these should be your people. And this should be your family. I mean, you should be concerned about their needs and concerned about about their trials and concerned about their hardships. And and we ought ought to um, have lots of examples of our church family ministering to other churches. And, and I think about the Johnsons, and you know I'm so thankful the Johnsons are back. And it's good to have them uh, back after going down to Mexico and getting back here. It's a, it's a blessing. We're grateful to have your family back. And, and by the way, their trial's not over. And their grieving process 
is really just beginning in a lot of ways. There's a new normal that they're getting used to. And nobody should pray for the Johnson family like Eastside Baptist Church prays for the Johnson family. Think of ways that we can be a help to them and help them in this process. And I know they don't want to be singled out tonight, but it's our job as a church family. If we love people, we ought to, re- we ought to be bearing their burdens with them. And that's part of it. Nehemiah loved God's people, and I'm thankful. But tonight's application is more even different than that. I've already mentioned some of it, but I, I want to really focus again in on tonight the application of Nehemiah not just caring for God's people, but also caring for God's house. He had a concern for God's house. He wasn't going back to rebuild the walls because the walls were pretty. He wanted to go back and rebuild the walls so Jerusalem and God's house were protected. That was his goal. That was his purpose. God's house was important enough to Nehemiah that he took some serious uh, steps to help it. I mean, he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted. And if you've ever wept or mourned or prayed and especially fasted, you know it takes a lot of resolve to fast. But here's a man who loves the work of God and he loves the people of God and he loves the house of God so much that he's willing to make some sacrifices for it. He's willing to put himself in a position that's uncomfortable because he loves the house of God. And I think about God's house. And I, I think about how important it was to Nehemiah and how he took these steps. And, and I think about how we should take steps to protect God's house. And this isn't even a doctrinal message, although uh, we ought to protect God's house doctrinally. And we ought to fight for the unity of the, uh, or the purity of doctrine. And, and we ought not compromise on any of that. Uh, We're not here to change anything. We have the Bible. We have God's word. This is all we need. And we're sticking to it. And that's, I mean, we're protecting this. And I'm thankful for it. But I mean God's house. I mean, God's house is important enough that we should take steps to protect it. And that's why, I mean, that's why the church has an insurance policy on God's house. We want to protect this house. And we want to, I mean, we don't want it just, if something happens to it, we don't want to just lose it. I mean, we protect it. That's why we have an alarm system. Okay? And if you've ever set that thing off, it's scary. It's happened to me already. We have an alarm system to protect God's house. We have a sprinkler system to protect God's house. If there's a fire that breaks out, God's house will hopefully, something will be salvaged or protected. and, And we have a sprinkler system. I'm not sure how well it works, but we have one. We invest in keeping this house clean. It's important to us. I mean, we, we invest in making repairs to this house. Uh, we invest in, in keeping the lawn mowed. And I'm thankful for the time that the chambers put in yesterday, hours and hours this week, to get that lawn mowed. It's a blessing. You know, we invest in those things. Uh, that's why, you know, protecting this house is important enough. That's why we have men that walk around during the services because they're watching and making sure, you know, that we're protecting the people of God. You know, it just makes sense. It's common sense. But I want to stop and apply this here tonight because it's in the text. And here's the question. How much do you care about God's house? How much do you care about this building? 
And I know, I know the church is the people, and, and we'll get into that, but you know, this is God's house. This represents God. We have a multi-million dollar facility here. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Most people will never get a chance to enjoy something this nice. God has blessed Eastside Baptist Church with a beautiful building. And I, we should be thankful for it. I wasn't here during the building process. I mean, I just get to uh, walk in and, and enjoy it and act like I did something for it. You know, I believe that it, this is so much more, though, than just a building. It's the house of God. And I know people make up a church. A church is not a building. God dwells in the midst of his people. But this building is the place where we as church, as a church, come to meet with God. It represents our God. And this building is, is a representative, an earthly, physical representative of a heavenly father. It's his house. It's dedicated to him. I know whenever you moved into this building, you dedicated the church to God. It's His place, and we come here to meet with Him. It's, that's why it's designed this way. I, you know, I, I'm thankful when, you know, that it looks the way it does because I think it's a good representation of God Himself. You ought to walk in somewhere and say, this is a good representation of God. It's a good reflection of God. And, and when you're doing something as important as meeting with God, his house ought to reflect how important that meeting is to you. I mean, if it wasn't a big deal, we could meet anywhere, folks. We could save ourselves a lot of money every month to sell this building and then just go meet somewhere on a weekly basis. If it's not that big of a deal, I mean, there's a big food court down at the mall. We could probably all fit there and eat Culver's at the same time. The Lord's Supper. We partake every service, brother, when it's Culver's. You know, I know God can meet with us anywhere, but if we have a, if we have a say in the matter, I want to meet him in a building that looks like this. And I want to, God's physical house to be as reflective of God as possible. I'm not interested in a church building, and I know this is probably getting down to it, and, and you may be mad by the end of this, but it's my first message, my first make you mad message, so be thankful it took me this long. I'm not trying to make anybody mad. But listen, I'm not interested in a church building that looks and feels like a coffee shop or a mall. See, those things are fine, and I go to coffee shops, and, if I, and sometimes my wife drags me to the mall, maybe, and I find the nearest bench. I love mall benches. I'm never tired. I can walk around or hunt or be out in the mountains or hike and do it all day, but two seconds in a mall and I can barely keep my legs up. I mean, I, I've got to find a place to sit. You know, those things are fine. Coffee shops are great. I go to coffee shops. Malls are fine. My wife goes to malls. My kids love malls. But they're created to reflect and cater to consumers. That means a mall or a coffee shop should be comfortable and it should be casual and it could be trendy and it can be cool and you name the adjective, it's fine for a, sh a coffee shop. It reflects an environment that makes consumers comfortable. A church, though, is not a mall and it's not a coffee shop. And it should first and foremost reflect the God that it represents. And I walk into this building and I'm so thankful that I can look in this building and say, this is a good representative of the God that I'm trying to serve. This is a good representation of the God that I want to worship. 
This represents him well. It reflects him well. And when I go to meet with God, I want to meet him in a place like this. But there's another element involved that we have to be careful about. You see, the building only reflects God as far as his people take care of the building. And, you know, it'd be like me coming into your house and visiting and, and you say, okay, well, yeah, you're welcome to come over, Pastor. We'd love to have you. Um, just know we ask you to take your shoes off when you come in the door. That's perfectly fine. You know, warn me because I'll wear my good socks if that happens. But, but just, I mean, and that's fine. That's a good house rule. I know a lot of people have that rule. And after we, we moved out of our house and we, we cleaned the carpets, we thought we will we'll either never have carpet again or we'll never let somebody wear shoes inside the house because it was terrible. So I understand the rule. But you, I walk in, you say, okay, now we just ask that you, that you take off your shoes. And we're reasonable people here. We're just asking that you take your shoes off. And then we also ask that you don't uh, go into our bedroom t- today. It's, you know, not clean. And then we also ask that, Pastor, we know what you're like. This is our brand new couch. And we ask that you don't jump on our couch while you're here in our house. So just reasonable requests. And so the first thing I do when I walk in the door is I keep my shoes on and I walk right across your good carpet with my dirty shoes. Then I go into your bedroom, jump on the bed, then go to the couch and jump on the couch too and then sit down and say, where's my drink? Now, I would, I would never do that at your house, okay? I'm using that for the sake of illustration um, because we all understand how to respect people's homes. And I hope that you respect people's homes and I'll try to respect yours if I ever get to come to it, although now I may have just, you know, sealed the deal. You're not inviting me over. Well, listen, this represents, this is God's house. And it represents God. And I believe that part of being a good steward of God's house is to treat it like it represents God. My mom had certain rules for our house. Your mom probably had certain rules for your house. You know, there are rules like my mom, you know, these are mom rules. (laughs) Hey, it's not a playground, no horseplay. Did you ever hear that one at your house growing up? I did all the time. And it was a good rule and, and we would most of the time obey it unless my parents were gone. And then it's a free-for-all. There were plenty of times, though, and I remember one time specifically, and my, my parents, you know, they had rules in the house that no horseplay and, the, you know, no, no wrestling. It's not a playground. And, and my brother were, and I weren't obeying, and we put a hole in the wall. You know how that goes. Maybe not. <laughs> I do. Most of the boys and guys in here do. You know, it's a good rule to say it's not a playground. It's a good, um, it's a good rule to say that this, this area right here is off limits. Or to say something like, the living room, and I heard this a lot, the living room's not the dining room. When you're eating, eat in the dining room. Because we're trying to protect the carpets and we're trying to protect the couches. No food or drinks. Another rule was clean up after yourself. You know, you don't just get to walk into any area of the house and leave a giant mess wherever you go and my mom has to come by and clean it up. That wasn't going to happen. That's a good rule to have, isn't it? Clean up after yourself. My, you know, my dad, my dad was big on turn off the lights. 
You just walk around and yell and say, dude, got the lights on and turn off another light. That's what dads do. I was asked the question often, were you born in a barn? <laughs> Shut the door. And I thought it was really smart one day and he, my parents, do you, were you born in the barn? And I think I said something like, Jesus was born in a barn. <laughs> and then, you know, got to get back in there. Good rules. And all rules we understand, right? Rules that make sense. I don't think it would be bad for us to step back and think then about those kind of rules in this as God's house. You know, I love the fact that the sign entering the sanctuary says, help us keep God's house clean, no food or drink in the sanctuary. And thank you for turning off cell phones. That one was added in the last 10 years or so, probably. You know, it makes sense that we would have some ground rules for God's house, like our moms had for ours. You know, we're trying to protect God's house. This is an important place. You know, I think about rules, mom rules, and I think about things like this isn't the dining room. Well, the sign out there says it very clearly. You know, no food or drinks. It's God's house. When I'm at home, I can usually eat wherever I want to as long as my wife doesn't catch me. And some moms and wives are strict about it, and they say, don't eat in my living room on my new carpet, or don't eat on the couch, or don't eat here. And the reason, listen, the reason we don't have a coffee bar and a snack shop here is because our purpose in gathering is not just to fill people's bellies. And I know we have fellowship, and I know we do some things in the mornings, um, but we ought, to we ought to be very careful of stepping over a line where we turn this into a coffee shop or turn this into a restaurant because it's not, it's not a dining room. This is the place where we're meeting with God. And those signs out there have already done that work and I'm thankful you know it says no food or drink and it's not we're not trying to be mean this is literally where we corporately meet with the Lord it's his house it should be protected and we're we're just trying to protect it you know we come to worship and honor him in here and if we want to take care of this room so that it reflects the God with whom we're meeting then we need to place some limitations on what is brought in that's all we're doing you know we want to we want the carpet to reflect the God with whom we meet and I know there will be spills, and especially since the foyer out here serves as our, our place for, for fellowship, and, and uh, you know, the design makes it a little bit difficult to keep food and drinks out of here, and, and I think you do a great job of protecting it. I'm thankful for it. But in my few weeks here, I have seen snacks and, or cupcakes or, or a few drinks brought in here, a drink or two, and listen, we have to be mindful and remember that we would respect that rule at someone else's house. So we should respect it in God's house too. And I know you can get thirsty and, and it's a long time to sit, especially when somebody preaches a long time. But we can do it. It's possible. And, and I'm looking at this cup full of water right here. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, I can understand that. But if you just want something to drink, you know, let's, let's keep it outside the building, or outside this room especially. Because we want this room to reflect the God with whom we're meeting. And if you've ever had to drink, you know, clean up spills or try to clean up after people when something gets spilled or dropped, you know how hard it can be. And I, I just think it'd be great to say that unless there's an important reason 
Let's keep the food and drinks outside of those doors right there. We should train our children, parents as well, we should train our children to think the same way. And they can. I mean, it's possible for them to think that way. Another rule, another mom rule, this is not a playground. This one can get sticky. But really, and I want you just to hear me out, I'm just trying to make a case, just trying to, uh, you know, to have the mindset of Nehemiah, who wanted to protect the house of God. See, as a church, I think it would be good for us to work on training our children to treat God's house with the respect that God deserves. And I know it's tough after church to find a place for the kids to be, and they've got a day's worth of energy built up, and especially after the long-winded preacher gets done, and they've been sitting for a while. But this is God's house. And again, at the risk of meddling and, and, and making somebody mad, I'm not trying to do that tonight. I hope you can see in my spirit, I'm trying to make a case to protect God's house because it's worth it. You know, there shouldn't be freeze tag games in the foyer. And there shouldn't be wrestling or running or jumping or ball throwing. And, and, and I know that kids can be kids, but parents, we have to expect more from our children. And the question should never be about how or, uh, or whether or not it's hard. It is hard. I mean, I've got children of my own, and I have to help them through these things too, which is what I think is helping me um, in make this case tonight because I'm walking these lines with you. Um, but it, it, the question is not ever, is it easy? Because honestly, it's not easy. It's hard. And, and that's the case. It's just hard. The question is not ever if it's hard or easy. The question should always be about whether or not it's right. The question should always be about what's best. The question should always be about what does God deserve. And if that is driving my decision making, then it's possible to raise children that treat God's house with the respect it deserves. And I've seen it. And at times as a parent, I've been successful at it. At other times, you know, like every other service, it seems like it goes up and down. But at other times, it's been a struggle. But listen, just because it's hard doesn't mean, number one, that my children are incapable of learning to treat God's house with respect because they are capable of learning that. Number two, it, just because it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. I mean, if that was our approach to life, we wouldn't accomplish anything because everything seems hard. It, it, just because it's hard, it doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do. I'm just trying to establish a mindset. I'm just trying to help us to think differently about God's house. And it's a good reason to train our children not to run around in the foyer after church. It does put people at risk. You know, and, and I heard Brother Spencer say that when we were here last time. You know, some, someday somebody's going to get knocked down and, and we don't want that to happen. But honestly, that's still not the best reason to train our children not to run. I mean, if I say that, if I tell my children... You don't want to run in God's house because you could knock somebody over and hurt them. Is that a good reason? Yeah, it's a good reason. But the first time that my kids come up here to visit me during the week and there's nobody in the foyer, then in their minds they're thinking, well, I can run in the foyer. So it really isn't the best reason not to teach them. The best reason to teach my children not to run around in the foyer and not to treat God's house like a playground is because it's God's house. 
And we should teach them to respect God's house. You know, I, if, I'm, if I've taught them not to treat this place like a playground just because they're, they're going to hurt somebody, then if no one's around, they'll do what they want. I mean, my kids are bad. <laughs> my kids can run around like all of them. But it, and just because it's hard, and just because after church I'm usually talking to someone, doesn't mean I'm just going, well, it's hard, so I'm not going to try. It's the, it's the right thing to do to help them. Would you agree and say amen that it's the right thing to teach our children to respect God's house? It is, absolutely. You know, I know the winters, the winters can be long. Well, actually, I don't really know. It's coming. <laughs> But I did grow up in Wyoming, and it's cold in Wyoming. And I remember when it was too cold to play outside, and my dad did not let me play inside the church. And I wasn't a great kid either, but I learned it's possible. See, when it's warm enough, send them outside. Let them play outside. But when it's too cold for that, still teach them to respect God's house. See, it won't be easy, and they won't always remember. And, I mean, my children will probably break something after service tonight just because I'm preaching this message. That's okay. Somebody's ringing the bell. It is time for this to be done. <laughs> See, it's possible to train our children to be in control when they're in this building. It's possible. I mean, they can run and they can jump and wrestle and throw balls and, and climb the walls or whatever. They can play tag all week. And just think about it this way. They can play tag and they can run and wrestle and play. They have about five or six hours inside this building during a week. And so for us to say that our children are incapable of being trained for those five or six hours to treat God's house with respect... I think it's vastly underselling the ability of our children to learn. Because I used to go to school and I would have six or seven or eight hours in one day that I was not allowed to run around and do whatever I wanted to inside. I had to sit days on end. It felt like years on end inside that schoolroom as a kid. I had to learn to be, to be disciplined enough to sit at a desk and I didn't just get to do what I want. So I'm just saying this, five or six hours in a week, not in a day, in a week. And I think it is very possible to raise our children to treat God's house with respect for those five or six hours that they're here during a week. And I hope that you, that you view your children as being able to do that. There's a great cause here, and that is this is God's house. You know, I think about this platform up here, and I, I think this platform should be treated with respect as well. You know, the Jets have a rule, and only in a rare exception will they be allowed to be right here on the platform. And I'm not saying that this is some sacred place and, and that there's something magically different about this spot, but I, I want my children to view the spiritual work that takes place right here as something to be respected. And it's never harmful, and here's what it comes down to, it's never harmful for my children to have a boundary. It doesn't hurt them in any way, shape, or form to say, this is the line and I'm just not going to cross that line. 
So the Jets at least have a rule that this platform is to be respected. And the ones that stand up here are the ones ministering either by preaching or, or in music. And there are some times where there will be rare exceptions to that. But I'm just, I'm just telling you as a, as a general rule for our family, this is a place that's a boundary. It's not bad for my children to know, well, there's a place in the church I'm, not, I'm just not allowed to go. It doesn't hurt them in any way to be thinking that direction. Now, we want to protect this entire building, but this spot right here is pretty important to the mission of Eastside Baptist Church. Another mom rule is clean up after yourself. Now, when I was growing up, I learned very quickly my mother did not want to follow me around cleaning up my messes all day. And be in the practice of cleaning up. You know, if, if I see a paper on the floor, then I want to be the kind of church member that stops and picks it up just because I want God's house to look clean. And we should be in the habit, if, if there's something on the ground or if something out of place or there's something you know, that shouldn't be there, we should have the mentality that everybody pitches in and if we see it, we're going to clean up. And if you use a room or you use the building for something, you know, just clean up. It's, just, it's God's house. To leave stuff lying around on the floor or lying in the pews or, or just laying around as a mess, we're trying to keep it clean. Not because there's something spiritual about that, but because it's God's house and I respect it. And in the same way that I would want to respect my parents when I go to their house even now by not leaving them a big mess to clean up, we ought to think about God's house that same way. If you use the facilities for something, remember whose house it is. Let's work on our children leaving this property better than they found it. My parents always taught me that, leave it better than you found it. You know, and, and there are times where, you know, our kids are outside and they're, you know, we've got these rock beds out here and they spend 30 minutes throwing rocks into the driveway and rocks onto the sidewalk and then they just pick up and leave. And you know what, so every time somebody has to go and push all those rocks back into the rock bed. And I'm not saying they shouldn't play with rocks, but if they do throw some rocks, teach them, hey, clean it up. The Jets have already made a habit. Every time we pull onto the church property, we run around like a swarm of ants and we put all the rocks in the rock beds. And I know it's not always our church kids either. There are church neighborhood kids that come over and they do the same thing. You know, I don't have an ac access to influence them or teach them, but I'm still going to teach my children, even if they didn't make the mess. I want them to think that they love God's house enough that they're going to stop and they're going to clean it up because God's worth it. We're trying to teach my children to respect God's house, and I know they don't always, and they're not perfect and I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to establish a mindset here. Now think about the doors. You know, we got glass everywhere around here. You know, we ought to teach our children when they open the door to use the handle. You know, because I don't know if you've ever walked around after uh, Sunday, you can see it out on those front doors, and there are, there are handprints on the doors, and they're all under the crash bar. Little kids putting their hands, yeah, it's not the end of the world, but you know somebody cleans that. Somebody takes the time every time to clean it. So I taught my son at a young age. Now, I did not teach him to stay awake in church, obviously. <laughs> but I did teach him at a young age, when you go out a glass door, use the crash bar. Don't put your hands on the glass because somebody took the time already to clean it and somebody will have to take the time again to come back and clean up it again. Just little things. You know, everybody do their part. 
It's a little song my kids learned when they were, li- when they were in three-year-old class at our church in Stillwater. You know, clean up, clean up. Everybody do your part. I don't know it. I never wanted to learn it. So <laughs> let them learn it. You know, we would start, you know, when they made a mess, we'd start singing that song to them and made them so mad. You know, we need all hands on deck to keep this place looking like the kind of house God deserves. And if just three or four people get involved, you know, it's an overwhelming job. But if we have 150 in here tonight, we ought to be 150 people and every one of us are looking for ways to treat God's house uh, with respect. I'm going to do my part to keep it up. Men, we, we could, there could be some help with the lawns. There's a lot of work, a lot of mowing that gets done. Uh, and when it gets done, a lot of cleanup to do after that even. You know, it shouldn't fall to just a few. We ought to be willing. You ought to say, hey, whatever you need, I'd be happy to help. You know, we've got things out here like, you know, the concrete in the, what, coming into the foyer. You know, we ought to be, every time we walk by that, we ought to think, man, that bothers me. I sure wish that looked better. Because I want God's house to represent the God with whom we're meeting. We, you know, look around and you see walls that may need to be touched up and paint that need to be fixed and trim that needs to be reapplied. And, and I'm thankful that we have a man like Troy Swift. I don't know that he's here tonight, but he's always looking for ways to be a blessing to Eastside Baptist Church. And, and he replaced all those lights out in the foyer with LED lights, brought in a lift, changed these lights up here that were burned out. They're hard to get to. And nobody ever asked him to do it. He just looked around and said, you know what? Uh, there's a need and I can fill it and I can help it. And so I'm going to be used by God as a, the, man, the right man for the right job because he has a lift and he can change lights. And he said, I'm going to be involved and I'm going to treat God's house with the respect that it deserves. And now we have you know, a fully lit platform again and I'm thankful for it. You know, there's cleaning during the week and there are things that need to be helped and things need, that need to be fixed. And if all hands are on deck, no one person feels the pressure and the load of having to take care of it all. We have plenty of people at Eastside Baptist Church to take care of this amazing gift that we've been given. I know you say, well, you know, we built it and we, we, we raise money and we, we give every week. I understand that. God gives us the money to give to the building. What part do you play? What part are you willing to play? Not just, well, how much money do you give? No, I mean, what are you personally doing on a weekly basis to help protect God's house? To help it be the kind of house that represents the kind of God that we serve. We are stewards and we have a role to play, every one of us. Now, Nehemiah cared about the important things, God's house and God's people, and it qualified him to be the right kind of man for God's plan. And as I was preparing this message, I was, I was thinking, you know, what would Nehemiah think? How would Nehemiah approach this building? And he has passion for God's house and passion for God's people. But I was thinking if he was training his children on how to treat God's house, how do you think he would have done it? Well, I think a man like Nehemiah probably would have said, you know, we're going to treat God's house with respect. Family. If, if Nehemiah saw trash on the floor, I'd think he'd probably, he'd probably think, you know, I'd probably bend over and pick that up. I know we've, we, we won't all have the same ideas about what's appropriate and what's not, but my view on it is I'd rather err on the side of protecting it too much 
than not enough. 1 Timothy 3, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, These things write unto unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And when you start to think that the house of God is attached to the, the truth of God, it represents God, and there's a way to behave ourselves in and among God's people in his house, it makes me think that our expectations may be a little bit low. And I don't mean just Eastside Baptist Church. I mean church in general because a lot of places you go into and you get coffee on the way in and you, and you don't have to, you know, it just whatever you want to do. You can walk in or out. It's a very casual environment. It feels like a coffee shop or a nightclub. No, I'm not ready to go there yet. Because this place represents God. And we ought to treat it like it represents God. Listen, you're here right now for a reason. God sovereignly placed you in this body to fulfill an important function. What are you doing to take care of what you've been given? What we've been given? I can't help but think of the unprofitable steward in Matthew 25. It says, take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. It is a biblical principle that how we treat our resources affects whether or not we get to keep them. And I'm not saying God's going to take our building away, but I just wonder if we limit his blessings because we don't take very seriously the house that represents him. And I know a lot of this is preventative. I know there's a lot of things I've talked about tonight that we are, we're doing well in. But the areas in which we're not doing well, let's just evaluate as a family, as a dad, with your family. How are we treating God's house? How are we training our children to treat God's house? And what role am I specifically playing to make sure that God's house is protected? To not properly care for our resources could mean that someday we don't get to enjoy it anymore. No, we need a room full of Nehemiahs that care enough about God's house to go to some lengths to protect it. We love God. He's worthy of our best. Let's reflect that mindset and how we take care of his house. And again, I just have to say, he's worth it. He's worth it. And it's not going to be easy, but it's right. And it may not be easy, but it doesn't mean that we don't have to try. I want my children to love God's house more than I ever have. I want them to respect God's house more than I've ever respected it. To me, that's a cause I'm not willing to just give up on. I believe it's possible. Eastside Baptist Church, it's possible. Let's treat God's house with respect. Let's do what we can like Nehemiah to protect this place because we serve a God who's worth it. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If God's dealt with you tonight... Different kind of message, I know. But one, I think that we, it's good for our mindset. It's good for our thinking process toward the house of God. And if God has spoken to you about something tonight, either with your children or with the role that you play in protecting this, 
or your seriousness toward God's house. You have an opportunity to respond. I'll pray and then the invitation will begin. If God's spoken to you, then you can respond here in just a moment. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.